0: Everybody. Don't give up the shit podcast. We're on episode 12 and today's topic is going to be professionalism and we're going to talk about how your message is presented can be more important than the message itself. Professionalism can essentially be used as a communication tool. This is a topic that I, and I'll talk about a little bit later about how this happened but it kind of confronted me during the week this week. This wasn't what I was planning on doing but based on an experience I had this week I thought it was something that it was important enough that I talk about and so I'm going to do that and share that experience with you. First, I'm going to do the history segment, and today I'm going to be talking about McPond Thomas Crow. And the reason why I'm going to be doing that is because kind of his two tenets as he went into office were pride and professionalism, and it ties right into our topic today. So, I'm going to read a bit of a bio on him and talk about some of his experiences. So, Thomas Sherman Crow grew up in MacArthur, Ohio, looking forward to the day that he could join the Navy. Raised by his grandmother, after his mother died in childbirth, he believed that the Navy was his only opportunity to break out of poverty he knew as a child. An uncle who served in the Navy with the Seabees during World War II was Crow's role model. In January 1953, after graduating from high school, Crow joined the Navy. After boot camp, he began training as an aviation structural mechanic. For the next 21 years, he lived in the world of an, being an aircraft mechanic, switching periodically between types of aircraft, platforms, and environments. Though advancement to E6 had come relatively quickly, he hit a stone wall when trying to make E7. He said, I was probably one of the most senior first classes, he said, "uh, in the entire Navy. Chief just never seemed to open up. Became a real test of will to keep going back to take that test. The wall finally crumbled in 1971, and by 1974, as a senior chief, Crow was looking for a new challenge. He found it in the new world of race relations. We are beginning to have some very serious problems with race relations in the Navy, he said. Equal opportunity was an issue. We were having problems dealing with the different races and cultures. I prided myself in being a person who takes people as they are. A good person is a good person, and I really don't care what race or culture they come from. I felt the impact of what I thought were some very racist and sexist kind of things going on during that time. The Navy was looking for people to work in the human resources area, so I volunteered. He started training for duty as a race relation education specialist and was chosen to attend the Defense Race Relations Institute, Patrick Air Force Base, Florida. He was assigned to ComNav Air PAC, where he served as a trainer for race relations and a member of the quality control inspection team for overseas Westpac units and carriers. After completion of the Equal Opportunity Program Specialist Training, at Cheltenham, Maryland, he became a program manager for AIRPAC, implementing Phase 2 of the Equal Opportunity Race Relations Program aboard carriers in the Pacific. Meanwhile, Crow was enhancing his own opportunities as well by attending National University in San Diego, California, where he graduated in 1976 with an associate's degree in business administration. In 1977, he launched into a somewhat different area of counseling, attending the Navy Drug and Alcohol Counselor School at Naval Air Station Miramar. California. Upon completion, he moved over to the AIRPAC Human Resource Management Support Office as an assistant and as manager of the EORR Drug and Alcohol Program. After advancing to Master Chief, he was selected as an AIRPAC Force Master Chief in December 1977. He continued his off-duty education, receiving a bachelor's degree in business administration. As the MCPON, in his first message to the fleet and Force Master Chiefs via direct line, Crow addressed the subject of leadership apathy. The question I'm continuously asked by fellow Master Chiefs is, what can we do about apathy within our CPO, Senior Chief Petty Officer, and Master Chief Petty Officer ranks? My answer must always be the same. I cannot do a thing. The attitude is brought about by different things for different people. Frustration, fear, and anger brought about by what we see and hear around us contribute to the emotions, and many times the reaction manifests itself in apathy for some and enthusiasm for others. The negative results of leadership apathy, according to Crow, were translating into poor job satisfaction, poor retention, excess attrition, and very weak leadership on the deck plates. A very subtle change has overtaken us in the Navy over a period of seven or eight years, he said. The situation I speak of is the role of the work center supervisor, CPO, versus the division officer or junior officer. Everywhere I go, I see a young division officer with a desk right in the middle of the work center shop, very busy taking over and doing the tasks that once belonged to the chief. This taking over has virtually stripped the CPO of authority and responsibility. Apparently someone told our junior officers to get more involved and obviously this has been interpreted as taking over the chief's role. Crow placed the responsibility for correcting the situation squarely on the shoulders of the senior enlisted leadership. If any change is to occur, he pointed out, it must originate within the group of senior petty officers and chiefs for it is the senior enlisted personnel who are the backbone of the Navy. CNO supported the MCPON in this campaign Crow said that in their discussions about the CPO-JO issue, the Admiral agreed that any junior officer who tried to exercise control when a more experienced chief is running the shop was exercising poor judgment. Most officers who have done well in the Navy have learned from a good chief, Crow said. Leadership is founded on mutual respect. Both the junior officer and the chief have to know their place in the chain of command. Crow immediately began working to implement the newly defined roles for senior and master chiefs. This project must proceed slowly and carefully to ensure Sure that the final decisions especially those changes that impact upon our chain of command he wrote in direct line are ones that provide job satisfaction for the personnel it affects and strengthens the organization in such a way as to improve the credibility of both the senior and master chiefs and the junior officers in the navy training for senior and master chiefs in those new roles would revolve around the creation of the senior enlisted academy crow said I want to caution all of you that the reality of an academy in this plan is just one method being explored and maybe the direction settled upon. He wrote I fully comprehend the feelings from our peers in the fleet, and our strong inputs from the fleet and force master chiefs at the last two CNO MCPO advisory panels have made it clear that we want and need an academy for training our senior and master chiefs. I will continue to monitor and participate in this project. Master Chief John H. Keeney, Commander, Naval Education and Training Force Master Chief, was involved in the research and design phase for the Academy. In his newsletter, he pointed out that the SEA will not be a boot camp for senior personnel. The atmosphere of this prestigious training is to be one of pride, self-achievement, and a means by which to upgrade managerial skills for further career development. We, the senior enlisted personnel, have continually asked to be given the responsibilities commensurate with pay grade and experience and to be held accountable for our actions, the Force master Chief wrote. Future expansion of responsibility for senior chief petty officers and mass chief petty officers will be determined by how we react and perform to this new challenge. On September 14, 1981, Crow attended opening ceremonies for the Senior Enlisted Academy. Pilot class of 16 students would receive nine weeks of education and communication skills, national security affairs, Navy programs, and physical readiness training. Classes were conducted in facilities at the Center for War Gaming Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island. Throughout his tenure, Crow stayed in close contact with the Fleet and Force Master Chiefs, using them as a reliable system of communication. In 1980, he added a Fleet Master Chief Billet for Assistant Vice CNO Director Naval Administration. The new billet was called Naval Shore or Navshore and was filled by Master Chief Bob White under NAVSHORE were the Force Mass Chiefs for Chief of Naval Education and Training, Naval Reserve, Security Group, Recruiting Command, and Bureau of Medicine. With the addition of the two new Force Mass Chief billets, the organizational chart in 1980 had five Fleet Mass Chiefs Sink Pack Fleet, Sink Lant Fleet, Chief of Naval Material, Commander in Chief, U.S. Naval Forces Europe, and NAVSHORE, Shore. 16 Force Mass Chiefs and 7 CNO Directed Command Mass Chiefs. Crow initiated a spring fleet master chief conference to provide fleet master chiefs with an update on the status of personnel issues and to get current information to take back to their sailors. He also pushed for closer coordination between the fleet and force master chiefs and between the fleet and type commanders and their master chiefs. He didn't believe that the fleet and forces needed to flock around the MCPON too much. He said they needed to be out with their commanders and their senior enlisted leadership, gathering information and recommendations that they could consolidate as input for the advisory panels. He also placed increased focus on the role of the command master chief guiding the creation of a new charter that expanded the responsibilities associated with the title. OpNav Instruction 5400.3713 reflected additional authorized CMC billets for ships, squadrons, and stations with more than 250 personnel assigned and described the newly authorized rating badge for CMCs. The revision resulted in the assignment of a command mass chief detailer. By the middle of the second year, Crow was seeing encouraging signs that pride and professionalism was taking root. During a trip to the West Coast, he visited ten ships, among them the Alamo, St. Louis, William H. Stanley, and Merrill. These ships stand out in my memory as squared away, clean, and sharp, with crews of sailors led by COs who have instilled pride in their ships and self esteem in their people. He wrote proudly in the direct line. Pride and professionalism standards of quality that are enforced and supported do promote good morale and positive attitudes. The most rewarding element of the whole process is that it doesn't require harassment or chicken stuff actions to make it happen. Uh, Crow was optimistic for other reasons midway through his tenure. A new administration and new faces in Congress heralded positive changes in pay and compensation. The other shoe is about to drop, he wrote, and within the next two months, we will see either a July pay raise or a substantial catch-up pay increase in October, along with the cost of living allowance and several other benefits. Crow began using bywords in his travels around the fleet. Along with pride and professionalism, he encouraged people to follow their conscience because it was the right thing to do. To make the drug abuse policy clear and concise he used not on my watch not on my ship and not in my navy and just say no to drugs operation specialist third class boyd s tevitt attached to samuel elliott morrison designed a poster to give the navy's drug program an image it was a stem of a marijuana leaf encircled in crossed by a symbol universally used for no by june 1982 crow could report tremendous progress and improvement across the board in military appearance attitudes morale and a feeling of well-being around the fleet Uniforms replaced pay as the most frequently heard complaint. It would take a book to list or recount all the gripes and complaints I have heard of my travels during the past two years, he wrote in the direct line. We have attained a point now that is vitally important for you to participate in putting the problems behind us and concentrate on educating your sailors on the requirements they must function with now. He asked for support in working with the Navy Resale and Support System, Navy Supply System, and the Navy Uniform Shop Managers in reaching a point of stability and common sense in uniform matters Unfortunately, a great deal of the griping and complaining has come from our more senior people, and much of it from Chiefs, he wrote. Some examples are the new service dress whites, chokers, uh, the white hat, and the decision to allow the command ball caps in working areas only, introduction of summer khaki, and the phasing in of the bell-bottom and jumper uniforms for E6 and below. These decisions are made and are here to stay. In June 1982, Admiral Hayward was relieved by Admiral James D. Watkins as the Chief of Naval Operations. In the November 1982 issue of the direct line, Crow said goodbye. He expressed satisfaction that our good Chiefs are taking the aggressive role of bringing the others on board with us so that our Chiefs community can once again be respected for its vital role in the chain of command and for our inherited ability and ingenuity of taking care of problems at the lowest level, he wrote. Much of the fear, frustration, and anger that he found in the Navy was gone by the time he turned over office. Junior officers had become more sensitive and aware of the role of chiefs in the command and a mutual respect was beginning to take hold navy families were receiving support through individual commands and family service centers ombudsmen were considered essential links in well-functioning commands and for the first time the navy had an official policy on child care operations navy paychecks were based on fairer wage scales relieving the financial burden for many families drug abuse in the navy was decreasing and sailors were taking more pride in their jobs their uniforms and their physical appearance as I leave the Navy to enter into a new career, I look back with a positive feeling about our Navy today, he wrote. It is not now and probably never will be without problems. I have enjoyed the unique opportunity of participating in a revitalization of many traditional things that had served us well in the past, had been pushed away for a period of years, and then brought back alive to serve us well again. So, that was a history segment today, and I felt it was very, very fitting. I know it was a little long, but there was a lot going on while he was the pond. Uh, so I felt it was fitting because he talks so much about pride and professionalism. He talked about a lot of other things that I've talked about in the past, which is why it kind of struck a chord with me, like the uniforms piece and and just maintaining yourself in a way that communicates, I guess, to those that are watching and listening and, and seeing you out there doing what you do, what we're all about. And, and this kind of put a word on it for me, professionalism. I'm not quite sure why I missed it before, but I thought it was very, very fitting. And then I had an experience this week, like I mentioned at the very beginning, where I felt like... Based on past experiences I've had and then what happened to me this week, uh, it was something that was very important that I wanted to talk about. Professionalism is something that I feel like we need to talk about, uh, and needs to be understood, and is commonly misunderstood as a communication tool, and junior sales should grasp what professionalism actually is uh, so they can leverage this tool to equip them for success now and in the future. And This is something that when it came up recently, and based on the implications of what had happened um, and the implications it could have had for the sailor that I had this interaction with, I felt really compelled to speak about the importance of professionalism and why it's just not some buzzword we use for how we want you to act or or how we want you to project the Navy's image. Uh, professionalism is something that you should internalize for yourself and understand that it's kind of the, it's the way that you present yourselves to others. And what I wanted to first do is define it, like I always do. So I thought it was interesting how short and sweet and to the point this definition was which is professional character spirit or methods and you could dive into that in a hundred different ways and get a hundred different interpretations of it but i thought professional character spirit and methods the character piece being who you are and kind of what you're about and and spirit would weave into there as well and then the methods in which you communicate that to the world around you, right? That's professionalism and I, and that's why when I when I read that definition, I was like, yes, this is what I want to talk about. This is exactly what I've been trying to put a word on and I've I've found it in a way that even I didn't really, like I looked at professionalism and kind of thought the word was a little humdrum, you know, there wasn't a lot to it and it was just something, a sticker we put on certain things That it was just the Navy, the way the Navy wants you to behave. Uh, And it's not. And this is what we're gonna talk about, okay? So why is it important? Professionalism is more than what we just mentioned. It's the way in which you handle yourself in every way while you're representing the Navy uh, and while you're representing yourself. And it's a literal term for what I talked about in episode three, Okay, learning to adjust to the Navy. When I went, I, I just droned on and on about realizing that the Navy works a certain way. And once you accept that the Navy way is the Navy way, uh, you're gonna have a lot more success by learning to function within that system. Uh, and the way that you function in that system and the, the way that you, you learn to leverage that system Professionalism is the, is the kind of the, the vein in which I was trying to, to uh, go down and you can still accomplish all of your ends and all of your goals by working within this system in a professional manner. So how you present your message, I've keyed in on this a few times. So like, what is your message? It's it's everything. You transmit much, much more than what comes out of your mouth. When you're communicating a your message, it's a lot more than just words. And there are things that you say, but there's how you say it, the tone of your voice, your body language, the words you use, the manner address, the medium used to communicate your message, and on and on it goes, okay? There are so many variables to getting your message across, and sometimes we're not even aware of the other variables, we think that it's all just thought, skips filter, comes out mouth, and I that's how I communicate. There's so much more to that, and we'll talk way more about communication and effective listening and all these other things in the future. I think effective listening was actually the topic I skipped over to do this one, so we'll, we'll get into all that. But one of the ones that can become a landmine for so many junior sailors is professionalism. Okay, when you're presenting your message, if you're not doing it in a professional manner, it can become a huge issue for you. Uh, so professionalism in practice, I kinda wanna break it down a little bit and talk about the different areas of professionalism, and it's all tied into communication. So you have your like your physical message. This is everything that I see when you're communicating with me. Uh, it's your uniform, like we spoke about last week, down to little tiny minutiae, like wearing your cell phone on your belt in the wrong place, or having the wrong belt on. That sends a message to the people who watch you without saying a word. It sends a message to me if you're trying to communicate something to me. Uh, it's your body language and facial expressions. When we get upset, we'll say one thing at times and communicate a completely different message through these methods, through your body language, through your, the expressions on your face, or if you're rolling your eyes at me or whatever, because you're upset. And then we say we're fine and, and you're you're saying a lot more with that facial expressions and body languages that completely contradicts what's coming out of your mouth. Many of these can be completely unconscious, so you can be sabotaging your message's intent without even knowing you're doing it. It's not always your intent to be doing these things, but I guarantee you the person receiving it is receiving it negatively and is receiving it like you're doing it on purpose. So something that that physical message, understanding that you are showing them things and you are doing things with your face and your body language or or whatever, and it can even be communicating your message and you think you're communicating it properly and professionally and you're doing all these things and it's uniform appearance, you didn't shave or whatever. There's all these different things that can become a distractor for me and I'm not getting your message the way that you, uh, the way that you wanted to communicate it in the first place. The other big piece that I think we focus on a lot more is the verbal message. And what I want to talk about is that it is much more than words. Okay, and, I, and if you feel like I just said this, it's because I did, but we're gonna focus on what's the verbal, but it's much more than words, so think about that. Outside of simply just the words you select to form your message, which are extremely important, there's the volume and tone of your voice, okay? And I can think about my mom, I immediately tell, I don't like the tone of your voice, right? Like your parents have said that to you, or, or don't talk to me in that tone of voice, or what, however they framed it, right? You, you been told this, you just didn't hear them. Uh, it can be as important as what you're saying, if you use that piece incorrectly or ignore its importance, your message can and will be lost entirely. This also is where you communicate that you are in fact a subject matter expert. When you're communicating verbally in, in the arena that we do, uh, there are many times, especially at your junior levels, where it's critical to be an expert in your field and to be able to demonstrate that with words and your example. Okay, This is where in positional authority type positions, uh, so like work center supervisors that may be the same ranks as your charges. This is where you derive your authority from. It's being the subject matter expert, is that I trust that. You're the go to person, or you're, that you're an expert and you're leading me in the right direction. Uh, so, being a technical expert ch- can change as you progress through the ranks. Being a technical ex- expert changes into being a subject matter expert on like Navy policy and procedures and leadership and management topics and, and other things while still maintaining a certain level of expertise in your source rating, right? But it never goes away, ever. Everybody looks at the chief and expects them to know everything, like they're the Oracle from the Matrix or something. And, and when I look at a work center supervisor from the deck plate level. So if I, I'm junior sailor Timmy and I'm looking at you as a work center supervisor, I expect you to know everything about my rate. Do you? No, of course not. You're not going to memorize everything, but you should know where to find it, okay? So be informed, like we always say, and be a subject matter expert wherever the subject, you know, is required, okay? Whatever subject is required of you. And then the example. So this is what I'm, this is where I'm going to hit up exactly what happened this week. I want to give you an example of of why this can be a landmine and why it's so important that you're aware of it so that you can avoid that landmine. Um, so this topic kind of fell in my lap based on recent experience. Uh, someone that works for me, he's a first class petty officer, great guy, recently came into a meeting that had just been concluded. It was an awards board for some students and began unprofessionally expressing his displeasure with what had happened based on what he interpreted through some feedback he got from the students, that the students were not being taken care of by the chiefs that sat the board. Uh, so he entered the room, which had myself and two other chiefs in there, and essentially began yelling at us uh, about the feedback he had received from the students. And from the second he entered the room, his message was never heard. From his body language and the tone of his voice and the words that he selected, even though the message, it was through my anger, I could still perceive the message was coming from a good place. I understood he was defending his students and what he perceived to be a slight. I got angry immediately uh, because of the way the message was communicated And his message was lost because it it escalated very quickly. The unprofessional tone was louder than the message he was trying to communicate with words. And anytime you lose control of your emotions or simply choose the wrong way of communicating your message to someone, it's lost. Your message is lost. And it was obviously important to you because you went out of your way to try to communicate it. So especially to superiors... Regardless of what has happened, you have to be aware of the method in which you're communicating it. If you go off on someone that outranks you, you're wrong, period. It's it's the uniform code of military justice. You don't have to like that, okay? I don't sometimes. There's plenty of times I've wanted to stand on my boss's desk and breathe fire on him, but I can't for so many reasons, so many reasons. It's contrary to good or discipline. It's against the UCMJ. There's all these things, and, and it'd make me feel better for about five seconds, and then I'd get crushed by him, by my superiors, all all these other things. And then my message was never heard. I didn't help anyone including myself and I'll probably be removed from the position that I'm in that allows me and positions me to help other people. So if I understand these things though, if I understand professionalism and why it's important when you look at a communication, then every aspect of how I convey my message is important I'll position myself to better take care of my charges and to potentially help develop that leader that I answer to uh, to be a professional example to everyone. Okay, so that's kind of the linchpin there is like the reason it is so important and the reason why you can't go off half-cocked and just verbally just assault someone because you think they're wrong no matter how passionate you are about the topic um, no matter how wrong you think they are for whatever it is that they did, especially when they outrank you, but even when they don't, because your charges are gonna shut down if you come out, come at them sideways as well. So the way in which you communicate to all of these people, do so professionally in every possible way, because you're just gonna throw up roadblock after roadblock after roadblock to your message being, being properly conveyed and, re- and received in the way that you want it to be, by not doing this and not being aware of these things, no matter what, you're gonna throw up roadblocks and it's gonna make your life much, much more difficult. Okay? Uh, it's already summary time. Can you believe it? Uh, <laughs> I know I say that like every time around the same time, but I'm just getting proud of myself because I'm actually limiting this to about 30 minutes each time. So we talked about what professionalism is, okay? We defined it in the short and sweet definition that was very, very fitting and and that can probably, by reading it over and over again at different times, it will probably send you in a hundred different directions, but it's very applicable to what I wanted to talk about. We talked about why professionalism is important, and then how to present your message. Professionalism, in practice, the physical and verbal messages really dig into that. Take takes some time to really analyze that, like how you're received. I'd encourage you to get feedback from people and ask them how you're received, because I guarantee you, you're not received how you think you are. That's one thing that I've learned in the last three years of my naval career is that I have this idea in my head of how I'm perceived, and then there's reality and I've worked really hard to try to close that gap because the more I know about how I'm perceived, the easier it will be for me to get my message across. And we'll again, like I said, we'll get into proper communication and effective listening and all this other stuff down the line uh, if you're wondering more about that. I, I know it's something that's probably important to everyone. Uh, and then we talked about what happens when this goes terribly wrong. The young man that uh, was involved in that exchange, uh, really great guy, just went about it the wrong way. So junior sailors should grasp what professionalism actually is so that they can leverage this in the future for the people that they lead, for themselves, and even for their superiors. If you're aware of this, you can use this to help develop junior officers like we talked about in the Mick Pond segment, in the history segment. Uh, there's this a very, very valuable tool that you will use for your entire career. And I want to close with talking about just being a professional and understanding that you are a professional sailor every time you pull your uniform on. And I, and I kind of went on this rant a little bit with uniforms, but it's so important to your successful navigation of your journey in the Navy, just understanding professionalism, and that it's important for you. It's important for your progression. Uh, whether you're a career sailor or not, you're building a foundation for the future, and you'll be in some kind of leadership position in life. Uh, professionalism is the key to your success, uh, and inspiring your charges to follow you. Uh, inspiring you to get everything you can from your journey. Uh, So so much of this happens behind the scenes. I've had a ton of conversations about all the things we as leaders don't do, and I smile about it because you don't know, and you won't know until you step through the looking glass. Uh, The conversation I had when I was mentoring this young first class, right after all this happened, we had a mentoring session as part of his... Counseling I guess after the fact where they're trying to correct the issue because I thought that was much more valuable than by then flame spraying Him or by doing a DRB or anything else and that's because this kid is got chief potential Big time like the guy really really is great at what he does He's passionate about leading sailors and he gets very emotionally invested in his sailors Which is a good thing when you can kind of harness it and point it in a productive direction when it's not Pointed in a productive direction, or you can't control your emotions, this is what happens, and this is the situation you find yourself in. And when I had a conversation with him about it, this could have went a very, very different direction. There, there are chiefs out there that would have written a report shit, and they wouldn't have been wrong in doing so. Like we talked about, it's in the UCMJ, but shutting this kid's career down at the stage that it's at, and, and after he's put in the kind of work that he has, and him being the passionate leader that he is... It wouldn't have made any sense. It would have been a huge loss to the Navy. It wouldn't have, I don't think it, in the long run it would have been fair. So we held him accountable in the way that we did. And, and during the mentorship sessions that I had with him, it, I think we got there. I think we have talked through the issue uh, in the best way possible. And then he expressed some concerns I wasn't aware of. Uh, so take the time to address this. Take the time to understand professionalism. Ask questions about it before you find yourself in a perilous situation like this guy did. This is a conversation I have with selectees every year during the Chiefs season. You'll, you'll carry a burden of constant criticism and scrutiny from people that are not equipped with this perspective to criticize you. Like They have no idea what they're saying, and it's okay. You can let them criticize you. And I sit there and smile because like, I know. I know what happens after I put them... Uh, on Liberty, and then I spend two or three hours there prepping for the next day, right? And their evals and awards and preparing training. Like, I know what happens. I know what happens on a ranking board. And I know what happens when I spend time fighting tooth and nail to get them wherever they need to be to succeed. And I know what happens behind that closed door when I'm talking to that first class. Uh, I know what happens when we spend all that time doing all those things that people say aren't happening or, or people say that we're not doing or whatever. Um, we're doing those things because we want you to, you all to succeed. And understanding professionalism is one of the keys to success in the Navy. Uh, and I really, really would love for everyone to understand it because I think there's moments where everybody thinks that the answer is to blow up. Um Another thing that we talked about too is finding someone that you can talk to. For me, it's the chief's mess. I can go in, close the door, and just spout off at the mouth. And it's the place that I can do that. And sometimes I get really, really valuable feedback. Sometimes they kind of let me finish venting, and then they throw it right back in my face again and tell tell me I'm wrong, give me perspective I didn't have, and tell me to shut up and, and go do what I, sh- I know I should have done already. But it's a sounding board. It's a place to vent. And I encourage you to find a person or a place to do that so that you don't ever find yourself in this situation because there are going to be times where you were wrong all along. There's going to be times where you're right and you just needed to blow that steam off before you went and had a professional productive conversation with either the leader or the follower or your peer or whoever it is that you need to have that conversation with to get your message across and get to where you want to be. Um, And so with that, that's all I got for professionalism. I think I actually forgot to plug the Ask got segment at the beginning, uh, but that's okay because no one's emailing me anyway, so I'll plug it at the end. Uh, if you guys ever have a question about anything at all, feel free to just shoot us a message on Facebook or send us an email at podcast at gmail.com. Uh, the avenue is there if you do have questions, uh, and if you do, we'll bring it up on the podcast so that we can share that with everybody else. Uh, so with that, that's all I got. That was episode 12. Thank you so much for listening, and don't give up the ship.